everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Wow. Round of applause. Round of applause for this gentleman. Now, raise your hand if you knew that. Well, the young people in the crowd seem to be chefs. Um, I'm, gonna lie, I'm not going to lie to you. I had no idea. Um, all I knew was that there was a spoon that sometimes I had to use uh, because all of the other spoons were either dirty or in the dishwasher uh, or being used for something else. And if I wanted to get something from whatever it is that I just made, I would just be inconvenienced and having to use a spoon with a massive hole in the middle of it. However... Now I know. I figured out that actually that spoon had a purpose, and that was to figure out what one serving size looked like. Ladies and gentlemen, you're welcome. If you didn't know what a serving size of spaghetti was, now you know. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, however, I just I say this because this is one of many, uh, and I want to start off uh, our message today by kind of just going over this because... I don't know if anybody else can relate to me, but this is one of many examples of videos that I have seen and I get caught up in watching of, of things, of everyday things, commonplace tools or whatever it is that people make videos of, right? They make reels or TikToks of whatever, and I get caught up in watching them because I realize how little I actually know. People use these things, and they're actually using them to their full capacity, uh, sometimes it's not really that important, but it is helpful. So, for example, I have here a keyboard. Um, if you guys uh, have taken maybe a keyboard class or a typing class, whatever, you know that there's a proper way to put your hands on a keyboard, right? You put your index finger here, um, right at the J, and the other one at the F. Now, what you may or may not, didn't, uh, may not know is that there's actually an indent on the F and the J to signalize where you should put your pointer finger, and that helps you as a guide for your fingers. If you didn't know that, you're welcome. Maybe, maybe you just type like this. Uh, that'll help you with figuring out how to type better. Um, also, another thing. One more thing. Some tips are actually quite useful. Jacob, can you come here, please? Where are you, Jacob? There you go. Um, that one may not be as useful, but this one... Uh, I know it would have been incredibly useful for me to know growing up. Jacob, could you open this, please? This is not actually a straw, but we're going to make pretend. Please open that, Jacob. Now, this little, this little thing there, most people have no idea what it's for. Most people are like, what in the world is that? Why is that there? Is that just for me to play a game? Is that for me to mess with when I'm bored? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's actually... A place where you can put your straw, if you turn it around, your straw goes right through the hole. Now, wow, what did you do? <laughs> you put it. What did you do? Something. I spun it. In most cases, that doesn't happen. Uh, but in this case, it did. I guarantee you, if you use that as a place for your straw, that won't happen. Uh, Jacob just has this, I don't know, this knack for things going south. Listen, 
Um, that's what that's for. So you might be wondering, why is there this little thing that sometimes breaks and I can't even open the can or just in the way my nose hits it when I'm trying to drink? Now you know, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. That is why that is there. It was designed that way. Sometimes there are things in life, right, that we have no idea what their purpose is, what the reason is, uh, things that we use. Maybe we don't even realize, but that soda can, that, that keyboard, uh, the spaghetti spoon, those are all designed in a specific way with a specific function. We may not know the function. You may not realize, but it doesn't mean that it isn't there. It doesn't mean that it was designed and made with that reason, with that purpose, used that way. Purpose right, is something that is very big and, and something that everybody kind of thinks about regardless of who you are. Everybody's seems to be, at least, in search of purpose. Purpose is a, is a pretty commonplace thing or a theme, I would say, better yet, that seems to be reoccurring when we think about even believers. Is you look at uh, searches and studies online, for example, Bible Gateway, right? Everybody knows what that is. It's a big resource for people to use the Bible online. But having already done studies, they've come uh, to the conclusion that the second most popular and searched for verse in the entire um, database that they have, I guess, is Jeremiah 29, 11. And that is, if you don't know it, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. The third most searched up verse on their platform is Romans 8, 28, which is, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's just, uh, in the top three, I'm assuming, I'm going to take a wild guess that number one is John 3, 16. But, uh, but as you look at that, as you look at different studies as well, uh, a few years back, uh, Berna did a study, even with Christian leaders. They took pastors, they took ministers, and they asked them to identify a book that was incredibly influential in their lives and in their ministry. And the consensus, number one pick, the most influential book um, that most people put forth was a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And this book, it sold more than 70 million copies and spent 90 weeks on the bestsellers list. Now, we went over a few verses here, Jeremiah 29, 11, Romans 8, 28. But there are other very popular verses that a lot of people tend to go to, right? Uh, Philippians 4, 13, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There is uh, Proverbs 3, 6. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That's a continuation of Proverbs 5. But you see here this reoccurring theme with all of these verses. And something that keeps coming up, and something that we have to, I guess, be honest about, is that within us, inside each and every one of us, is this longing for direction, for guidance. All of us have a desire or a sense or, or in a need of a sense of purpose. We all have this need inside of us to understand what that is and, and what it looks like. We all long for something greater than ourselves, to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And I think that is very evident and very prevalent in our culture today. So no denying that. 
And I think even within uh, the church body, even amongst us, that is something that we think about very often, whether it's something that's at the forefront of our minds or even subconsciously, even with the data and the things that we have studied and looked at already this morning, it's something that keeps coming up, and, it, and it's a reoccurring theme. So this morning, I wanted to address a few things. I wanted to look at one particular verse and examine that. Uh, it's a verse, as you can see on the screen, that we have already said. I already mentioned it. It's Romans 8.28. But like the aforementioned verses that I also mentioned, there's a lot of the times, uh, a lot of the times what can happen is people can take these verses Right, that have to do with God's plan, his purposes for our lives, and they take them out of context. And what happens is you don't really take the time to understand what is actually being communicated within these verses, and you end up trying to apply something, these truths that are very real, but they're not applicable in the way that you want to apply them. It, it doesn't make sense. You can't apply something that is not really being said. And so my hope with this time this morning is to Look at one of these verses, Romans 8.28, and understand what is being said here. Uh, what Paul is communicating, what God is trying to tell us in regards to his plans, his purposes for your life. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans 8.28. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn over there. It is in the New Testament after the Gospels. If you don't have it, don't worry. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it for us now. This is what it says. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, <clears throat> this is an incredibly profound verse, but it is actually quite straightforward. It's quite simple for us to understand. What I want to do is to clarify a few key things here that people often overlook and they misunderstand. One thing that I want us to quickly highlight at the beginning, at the very beginning, it's important to start off this way. Paul says here, and we know. Well, the first thing that I want to take note of here is that this is something that is a guarantee. This is a promise of God. What he is saying here, what he is going to say is something that we can be certain of. Something that he knew. Paul knew this, and we too can know this. To be absolutely true. That as we have already read is. You can see on the screen or have seen on the screen, every aspect of our lives is in God's hands. Every part of it, the good and the bad, no matter what it is, he uses it for his glory and he uses it in our lives. He works on behalf for those who love him. He works, he causes it to happen. He works it together is what that word means. And he doesn't just work the good as we see, he works even the bad, he works all things in all things is what the verse says. This promise includes everything. It's important for us to note here, as you'll see on the screen as well, this is a big point, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Nothing is beyond God's providence. Nothing is beyond God's providence. Centuries ago, there was a Scottish theologian by the name of Robert Halden, and he wrote this. He said, Christians are often in sorrows, suffering, and trials. This is not itself joyous, but grievous. But in another point of view, it is a matter of joy. Though afflictions in themselves are evil, yet in their effects, as overruled and directed by God, they are useful. Yea, all things of every kind 
that happen to the Christian are overruled by God for his good. There's a pastor by the name of Ray Pritchard, and I've had the opportunity to hear him um, minister to me and many others uh, several times. And he has a quite uh, interesting perspective on uh, this particular passage here. Uh, he notes that in the uh, NASB translation of the Bible, which is the New American Standard Bible, there is a, a, a different emphasis, he says. Uh, and, and I'll explain this here for us in just a second. For the verse that we've been looking at um, in the ESV translation, what this verse, Romans 8.28, says is, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But in the New American, uh, uh, the New American version, the New American Standard version, it actually says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. And I don't know if you picked up on that, but I'll, I'll break that down a little bit further or, or clear that up for you. In the, in the more traditional versions of the Bible, in the ESV, as you would see in the King James, it says, all things God works. And yet in this translation, it says, God causes all things. And that's a subtle difference, and the application is the same. No one is right or wrong. It's the same, the same idea, the same principle. But he notes this slight change in the way that it's worded and the emphasis that this version and this translation gives. And he notes this. I want, I want to read this to you. And he says this, and I think this is really uh, encouraging. He says, we will never properly understand this verse as long as we put God at the end and not at the beginning. Now, what he notes from this, and I find very interesting, is that many of us, we look at life this way. We have this outlook on life that things may just happen by chance. Things kind of happen, and there's chaos sometimes, and there's sin, and, and this and that. And, you know, all of a sudden, things happen, and then God shows up, and he just cleans up the mess. That's not how it is. That perspective is not biblical at all. That's not what the Bible says. If we look at what God's word says, in reality, God is there at the beginning and he is there at the end. And he is there at every point throughout. God is in control of everything. He has orchestrated, ordained everything in your life. You know, right now I'm actually studying again. I'm going back to school to get my master's and. Uh, I say that because one of the classes I'm taking is the class on the biblical foundations of leadership. Um, and recently, in the past week, we've been doing character studies, meaning we've been looking at different characters in the Bible, specifically characters that have been in position of leadership. And uh, as we look at them, we try to look at different leadership patterns they have, uh, the, the things that have happened in their lives, why they lead in a particular way, their traits, their personalities, how that's influenced them in leadership. And I can't help but think of a great example of this, right, as we're talking about God's sovereignty and how he is over all things. I can't think of many better examples than Joseph for this. I think, and I know, that it is very clear that God is in control throughout the entirety of Joseph's life from start to finish. You see time and time again his overruling providence. You see 
in Joseph's life, in his story, that God is faithful. His, you see his everlasting and unchanging faithfulness. You see that when, in the beginning, his brothers are envious of him and he is, uh, you know, they plot to kill him, but they end up sl- selling him into slavery instead, and then he's in slavery, and then he is falsely accused, and then he goes to prison, and then somehow he becomes a second-in-command in Egypt. Right, if I tell you, like, he is one of many brothers who they hate and they're envious of him. He, is get, he gets beaten, thrown in a hole, and, and, and left to die and sold to slavery. If I told you that man would then later go on to become the second in command of all of Egypt, you wouldn't understand and you wouldn't believe and you wouldn't see how all of this has led up to this moment, how none of it was irrelevant, how every part of his story was significant and had a purpose. And he even realizes this when later on in his life, years later, he is finally confronted with his brothers again, the same brothers who tried to kill him. And he looks at them and he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. God is in control. At all times. You know, the misfortunes in life, the, the trials you face, the difficulties that you come across, the obstacles, and even the blessings, they don't just mysteriously align together and come together for your ultimate good. No, God is the one who is working them together, causing them to come together. It's not by chance that things just kind of pan out in your life. God has a purpose for these things in your life. And ultimately, he has a purpose for your life. When we look at this, I think it's important for me to also highlight and make this note as well. That what Paul is saying here is not that all things are good. Paul is not saying that everything is good. right? God uses all things for our good, but not all things are good good. The world is filled with evil. The world is filled with hurt, with death. But what he is saying is that God is more powerful than all the forces of evil, all of the rotten things in your life. God brings good out of evil. But that doesn't mean that we won't endure some of those things. It doesn't mean that we won't go through some of those things. Right? It it is It's impossible. There is no definitive escape from these certain things that can harm us. But we have hope in God because he is able to take all things, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, trials, everything in your life, good or bad. He takes all of that together. Your failure, right? When you sin, when you fall short, your unfaithfulness. Your unbelief. All of these things he brings together to produce victory in your life. And all of these things he brings together to produce good in your life. Not because the things of this world are good, but because God is good. Now, as we kind of get to the end here, I just want to make sure that we know, and this is incredibly important too, Because this is another area where people 
seem to misinterpret what is actually being said here. This is a wonderful promise, but again, just commonly misunderstood and taken out of context. Let's see what this verse is saying. In its entirety, again, this is what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This promise is absolutely true. But this promise is not applicable to everyone. As you can see here, there is a precondition here. This promise belongs to a particular group, those who love him. Uh, Psalms 145 verse 20 says this, The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked will, he will destroy. And the association of love for God and obedience to him is important. As you see in John 14, 15, when Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Believers are marked by their love for God. Do you love God? Uh, Pastor David Jeremiah says this, because God has called us and we are his children, the incidents in our lives are not incidental. God is working on behalf of all of his children for his glory and for your good, and his plans and his purpose for your life are better than your own. You may not understand it. It may not be palatable. You may not feel comfortable. You may not enjoy it in the time being. But it is always for the good of those who are called by God. And good in our lives, it doesn't necessarily mean happiness either. When it, when it says here in this verse that all things are work for the good of those who love him, good doesn't mean comfort. Good doesn't mean, oh, I'm healthy. I got a six-pack. Oh, uh, good doesn't mean that I own everything, that I got a beautiful house. I got beautiful kids. I got a beautiful wife or husband. That's not what good means. It doesn't mean possessions. It doesn't mean wealth. It doesn't mean intelligence. When we look at this passage, we have to understand what he's saying when he talks about the good of those who love him. And thankfully, as you continue to read in verse 29, we actually see what that is. In verse 29, Romans 8, 29, it says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There it is. To be conformed to the image of his Son. That is his will for your life. That is his desire, his purpose for your life, that you would be more like Jesus. When it talks about the good of the believer, it's not saying, hey, you're going to go through these things so that at the end, man, you have everything. No, it's, hey, when you're going through these things, despite what might happen in your life, God has a plan, and that plan is to make you more like Jesus. That's what he is talking about when he says, I have desires for you, and I want the best for you. I want what is good for you. That is what he has in mind. And it's not to say you won't be happy. It's not to say that you won't 
end up having everything that you possibly could dream of. But that is not his priority. That is not what he is saying here in this verse. What does good look like for you? What does good look like for you when you think of this? When, you, when you're imagining, hey, he has plans for good for me, is that what you think of? Is it to be more like Jesus? Because I can tell you that God's priority for your life is your transformation. That's what he has in mind when he's talking about the good for those who love him. Is that your desire? Or is your desire really ultimately just leisure, just possessions, relief, fame, popularity, whatever it is, fill in the blank. All of us might define it a different way, but how do you define it? How do you define good? Is it how Jesus views it? Is, 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 how, is it how God views it in this passage? Is that what you think of? Or do you need to be honest with yourself and realign yourself with the plans that he has for your life and the purpose he has for your life and, and surrender yours? Now, there are a few things that we can be guaranteed of. And the guarantee here that we can see from this is that you're not guaranteed uh, those things, right? Happiness, uh, joy, um, uh, success. Those things are the things that we're talking about here, these tangible things that we think of. That's not necessarily a guarantee. It's not what he's talking about when we're thinking about being, um, you know, being made in the image of his son. Everything that happens to us here, it's going to shape us into beings that are either in harmony with God or in opposition to God. But hopefully this is an encouragement to us in this passage that we see here as believers that evil does not win. Evil, of course, in this life, it's, it, it's impossible to get away from. We can do our best and, and we, we have to strive for that. And be obedient to the Lord. But know that there will be times when things happen that you can't explain. That you will go through difficulties. But I want to reassure you that as a child of God, even those things God has a plan for and a purpose for in your life. To make you, through that experience, through that difficulty, and even through the good times, more like Jesus. God, he does not value your health, your success, and your convenience over your transformation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the love that you have for us. Lord, I, I pray that everyone in this room would um, take time um, to be appreciative of all that you have done for us. I know that sometimes we can't really understand how you may be working in our lives, how you have plans and a, and a purpose for our life. Um, but I want us to be encouraged this morning that as believers, as those who love him, those who are called by him, that we can find joy and find peace in the fact that you are in control over everything. That you've created all things and that you have ordained all things. And that with everything that happens in our lives, 
Lord, the good and the bad, Lord, you are in control. And I pray that we would trust in you during those times, during the difficulties, that we would look to you, call out to you, have faith in you and your promises, and even through the good times, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would praise you, that we would thank you, Lord, in hopes of being conformed more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you again, Lord, and we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, good morning at uh, Fuse, I guess.